into Jerusalem. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus had sent two disciples to Bethphage and nearby village to bring him that colt of a donkey. And when they returned with it, the disciples had draped their cloaks upon the donkey and Jesus had sat down upon it. And the rest of the disciples and on the surrounding crowd did not need any more encouragement. And they took Jesus in triumph in the midst and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. From the Gospel of John, we learn that they also shouted, Blessed is the King of Israel. And so it was that Jesus, the Son of David, the true King of Israel, entered Jerusalem. But as we probably all know, the leaders of the city of Jerusalem did not welcome him as their king. From the Gospel of Luke, we know that the Lord, while still sitting on his donkey, had wept over Jerusalem because he did not recognize the things that made for peace. Things that made for peace, meaning all the times throughout the history of Israel that the Lord has sent his prophets with calls to repentance and with promises of salvation. But time and again, Jerusalem had rejected the message of peace and mistreated the prophets. And now lastly, they also reject him, the very son of God. Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen to put his name there, and it rejected the peace he offered. And so Jesus wept. What was intended to be a joyful event by the crowd turned for the Lord Jesus into an event of distress and tears of grief. For him, it was not truly a triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 11 of our chapter, and, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So in other words, the true king of Israel came to his house and looking at everything that was going on there, seeing what his stewards, the chief priest, had done to his house, he did not like it at all. But as it was already late, he left. And there is something foreboding, something alarming in his leaving this way. He left, yes, but that was because it was already late in the day. But the way he left did not spell much good for what he has been seen happening there. And with this picture done in mind, we turn to our text, which I will preach to you under the theme, Jesus, Israel's king, comes to his house. And then we'll see that he announces first a terrible verdict upon it. And then he also announces a short delay of the execution of the verdict. And lastly, he promises a new house. 
Now, the first on that, that terrible verdict, our text begins with the words, on the following day, that was Monday, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Now, you need to know that Bethany was only two miles southeast of Jerusalem, two miles. And so the distance from the place where Jesus had spent the night to the temple to which Jesus was going was not more than, let's say, an hour walking. But while on that short journey, Jesus was hungry. And this already tells us some of the urgency of Jesus' return to the temple. On the previous evening, he had seen what was going on there. And so as soon as it was morning, and most likely without taking time to eat breakfast, he left with his disciples for Jerusalem, the temple for his house. And so, no wonder on his way there, he was hungry. And then at some distance, he saw a fig tree in leaves. And he went to it in order to see if it had any fruit. But having reached the tree and looking closely at it, he found nothing. And Mark then remarks that it was not the season for figs. And so just as Mark, the Lord too must have known that it was not the season for figs. So why then did the Lord, did he go up to the tree to see if it had any fruit? It was not the season for, for figs. Well, the Lord did this because while on a fig tree the leaves begin to grow, there at the same time begin to grow the beginning buds of, of its fruits. And they are hard to see because they are covered by the leaves and they have the same core. And those birds, although not very tasteful, are edible. And it must have been these birds the Lord was looking for in order to satisfy his hunger. And so the Lord went up to the tree, looked closely under his leaves, and found nothing but leaves. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And, and then we read in, in our chapter that the disciples heard him say this. But little did they realize the terrible symbolism of what the Lord just did here. You see, after Jesus on the previous evening had seen what was going on in the temple... He saw and he knew that Israel's religion and then also its temple service had become fruitless. Nothing but only the leaves of faithless religion, of meaningless traditions and merciless legalism. And then to see it on, that we should remember that parable that the Lord told in our scripture reading in Luke 13, the owner of the vineyard, God, had for three years, for a long time, looked for fruit on that fig tree. The fruit on Israel's religion. But he did not find any, and so he told the man who took care of the, of the, vine, of the vineyard, the Lord Jesus, to cut it out. Just like John the Baptist had promised before the Lord Jesus began his ministry, he said to the spiritual leaders of Israel, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already lying on the, fruit of, on the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Going back again to that parable in Luke 13. God had looked for fruit. And Israel's religion already for so long. But he found nothing. And so the time to cut the tree, to cut Israel down had come. The axe was already lying on the root of the tree. And so the owner of the vineyard said, cut it down. But the one who took care of the vineyard pleaded, leave it alone. For one more year, and I will dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, then cut it down. And so the Lord Jesus, he had come. And he had gone around in Israel for three years. And with his teaching, and with his miracles, he had dug around his root and fertilized it. He had promised them forgiveness of sin upon the repentance. He had shown them that he was able to forgive sins. And he had taught them what fruits the Lord was looking for. With his deeds, he had shown them what these fruits looked like. But yesterday, he had come to his house, to the temple, to Israel's religious center. And what had he witnessed? Indeed, a lot of empty religion, a lot of leaves, but no fruits. So what fruits then have the Lord been looking for last night? Well, let's turn for the answer to Deuteronomy 4, 5, 5 and 6. You might also just, I will read it to you. You may also just listen. And in Deuteronomy 4, verse 5 and 6, there Moses reminds the people of Israel. And he said, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should, keep, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and an understanding people. And so the fruits that the Lord was looking for was that Israel would be a blessing to the nations. He always, the Lord always wanted the nations to come to him. And Israel was to be the instrument by which they would come. If they would keep his statutes, if they would keep his laws. That the Lord really wanted the nations always to be a part of his people. That's why we read in Psalm 87 that the Lord would register among those born in Zion, Rahab, that's Egypt, and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, Ethiopia. That's what the Lord Jesus has looked for. But what did the Lord Jesus see that evening before? What did he see in the temple area of his house, which was actually the court of the Gentiles? 
court where the nations would come to worship. Did he see those fruits? Did he see a court packed full with Gentiles who from everywhere came to pray and to worship the God of Israel? No. He saw that this court for the Gentiles was used for a marketplace where animals for sacrifice were sold, where sellers and money changers made unreasonable profits from those of the nations who had come to worship the God of Israel. That's what he had seen. This is what had become of his house and then of robbers. And now the time had come to cut it down, to stop it from using the ground. See now that the Lord's curse upon that fruitless victory there on the way to Jerusalem was symbolic of his curse upon Israel's religion of that time. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. It's the fulfillment of the parable of the victory in Luke 13. And this curse with Jesus in this symbolic way had pronounced upon Israel's religion was just as immediate as the curse upon that victory. Neither one or the other did ever produce any fruit again. After Israel, the Old Testament church had killed and persecuted so many of the Lord's prophets, it would carry on and finally do his worst, kill God's only begotten son. No fruits. No fruits. It was only 40 years later when the temple and the city of Jerusalem were reduced to burning rubble and the people of Israel were scattered all over the world. The tree had withered from the roots. So what a terrible verdict did Jesus pronounce upon these fruitless church brothers and sisters. And will did the Lord also suffer in proclaiming this judgment? Just the previous day he had wept over Jerusalem and he had said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. He loved his people. And so he suffered because of their rejection of him and because of their unbelief. But now the tree must be cut down because the loving labor and fertilizer of the ministry of the very Son of God had been rejected and it did not produce fruit. What a warning. For the most devation brothers and sisters as a church to examine yourself. And see if you are bringing forth fruits. If you are striving to be a blessing in the midst of your world. The Lord Jesus, the king of the church, continues to do the same thing to unfruitful churches. So what an incentive to make sure that you, every one of you, as members of the church are continually striving to be a light in the world around you. That you're faithful to his word and faithful to his calling to you. So important. The Lord Jesus hasn't changed. That is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 verse 20 and 21 writes to the Gentile believers, to us, 
He said, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God not, did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Churches need to bring forth fruit. Religion may not be empty. Religion may not be only leaves. Fruits. And those fruits, they become visible during the weekdays as you interact with everybody around you. And they can see that, that you have something that they miss. And then they, they ask questions of the hope that you have within you. Fruits. We're living in a part of the world where, where there is a great falling away from, from the faith by individuals as well by whole church denominations. Many and lustrous are the leaves of religion, of liberalism, of self-worship, of self-love and sentiment and emotions. But where are the fruits that the Lord is looking for? Where are the people that are seeking a savior for their sin? In other churches, you will find the religious leaves of tradition and the self-serving desire to stay comfortable in the traditions and the rules. And if the Lord has not already done so, how long will it take before he also over those churches pronounce that verdict? May no one ever eat fruit from you again. No one must ever insist upon his own opinions and feelings and preferences in Christ's church for one's own comfort's sake. It's dangerous. The Lord is continually searching for fruit. He does. Fruits of the Canadian Foreign Church of St. Albert, but also the fruits of its individual members. And they go out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and shine as lights so that those who don't know Christ come streaming into his church like they were in the time of the Lord Jesus were supposed to come streaming through Jerusalem through that court of the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, the Lord loves you just as he once loved Jerusalem but had to weep over it. So strive and help each other to bear the fruits that win others for Christ. Continually pray and work so that your beloved Lord will never need to weep over you and pronounce such terrible verdict upon you as individual Christians and upon you and his church. Well, let's now return to our text and see in our second point that the Lord graciously gave a short delay of execution of that verdict. After the Lord, that at that victory, had pronounced his terrible verdict upon 
Israel upon his church. He continues his short journey to the temple. And, and then he reveals himself in his majesty as the true king of Israel. You see, reading verse 15 of our, of our chapter, it sounds so simple. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area, which was, as I already mentioned, the court of the Gentiles. And he began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. You need to picture this. Try to picture this. One man against so many. You see, the court of the Gentiles was not just a small area. No, in the temple built by, by uh, King Herod the Great, that court of the Gentiles had a site of two full-size football fields. And it was full of buyers and sellers and money changers who were there with the approval and under the protection of the chief priests of the church. But neither one of those merchants or all of them or even the, the priests were able to resist the majesty, the power, and the authority of King Jesus who was cleansing his house. They couldn't withstand him. There were probably hundreds of people there. And it was all about money. Some people get really zealous. They couldn't stop him. The very leaders of the people, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, but only the next day, daring enough to ask the Lord by what authority he was doing these things. But on that Monday morning, they too possessed neither the courage nor the strength to resist King Jesus. Now you could ask, why did the Lord cleanse the temple area? while he had already pronounced that from the temple service there would be never any food again. And the answer is not, because he wanted to teach the Israelites one more time. Just listen what the Lord Jesus said in verse 17, quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7. He said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayers for all nations? It is for the sake of the nations, the Gentiles. You see, the Lord Jesus had not yet fulfilled everything that the temple service for so many centuries had foreshadowed. He had not brought that last and final sacrifice for the sin of his people and in the world. He, as the Lamb of God, had not taken away the sins of the world. He, the seed, had not yet been buried in the earth in order to bring forth much fruit. But it was almost the Passover feast. And there would be Gentile believers from all nations who had traveled to worship the God of Israel and to find peace with God through the sacrifices to the worship that they would bring. But their place in the Lord's temple had been turned into a marketplace, into a den of robbers. And therefore, the court of the Gentiles, which was their house of prayer, needed to be cleansed. Cleansed from those who would rob them from the money, rob them from their place to pray and to worship. 
see the Lord Jesus always wanted the Gentiles from all nations to come to his temple and worship him. And Israel was to be the instrument, but it had failed to produce the fruit. And it was only four days. It was only four days until Jesus would bring his final sacrifice and would pronounce to the whole world that it was finished. It was only four days that the, and then the curtain of the temple would tear from top to bottom as a sign that the Lord God had departed from it and became the Lord God of, this, of, the, of, the, of the believers from all nations. But for those four days, the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world, makes sure that his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Soon it will change. These last four days, the Gentiles must worship in the court of the Gentiles. But the Lord is going to make sure that after this, things will change. The court of the Gentiles, imagine this too. It's, of course, part of the temple. But it is still so far away from the place where the Lord himself dwelt between the cherubim that are on the mercy seat in the most holy place. Because that most holy place was only to be accessed to the holy place where the golden, golden altar of incense was. And that in turn could only be accessed to the court of the priest outside the temple. And on surrounding the court of the priest was the court of Israel for males only. And then there was the court of the women. And then finally, far away, the court of the Gentiles. Four more days. And then the Lord Jesus who bring that great sacrifice so that the Apostle Paul could write to the Gentile believers in Ephesus. But now in Christ Jesus who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Always have been the Gentiles too. So here in our text, we can see the love and the care that our Lord and Savior had and still has for his Gentile believers. Yes, it caused the, by him church, cursed church to hate him even more. They are cut off, cursed already. So that we read in verse 18 that they began to looking for a way to kill Jesus. There were no fruits coming out. Just violence. primary result of the curse Jesus pronounced was the total blindness for who he is and for what he means for a repentant sinner. And the further result is that then the churches, they become people's churches, where things go the way people want. But anything and anyone will be disregarded and marginalized or does not conform to what the people want. That was then is now how different is the Lord Jesus his love for all his people which include millions upon millions of people from all the nations caused him to give himself up for them motivated him to suffer their punishment and cursedness by his terrible suffering and death on the cross 
And so he brought us, who once were far away, near to the mercy seat, to the throne of grace. Just thinking about that. He was the, truly the son of God. He knew everything. While he was doing this, while he was cleaning the temple area out, he was thinking about you. He did it for you. He wants you to come. And so, brothers and sisters, you must answer his love with yours. You must answer his atoning sacrifice with two thanks, sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is the sacrifice of living unto him, the sacrifice of striving to be like him and to be a light in the world. For there are still so many more people from among all nations. There are still so many more sheep that would be added to his flock. Don't be unfruitful. The Lord Jesus knew that many millions more of Gentiles would come to worship the God, the God from all over the world, and that the man-built temple would never be able to contain them. And so we'll see in our third point the Lord's promise of a new house. It's the next day now, Tuesday. And the Lord and his disciples are on the way from Bethany to Jerusalem again. And they come past that tree, which the Lord had cursed only one day before. And they see that in one day it had completely died, withered from the roots. And Peter remembered, and so many times he speaks for all the other disciples and expresses their amazement that the tree had already completely died. Did the disciples at that moment realize the terrible significance of this? Not likely. But by the time that the Gospel of Mark was written, they certainly did. At that time, they probably found Jesus' answer somewhat strange. Because when Peter points it out to the Lord, the Lord Jesus says, have faith in God. Have faith. Have faith. A sure knowledge of and a hearty trust in all God's promises. He will fulfill what he has set out to do. His involvement with the world and his love for it does not end with the death of Israel's empty religion. Have faith in God. It is a commandment to his New Testament church. Have faith in God. From the temple religion and its priest there will be fruits no longer. But have faith in God. Abraham will be the father of many nations. Have faith in God. And God's house, the church, will be a house of prayer for all nations. Have faith in God. And then the Lord Jesus continues to say to his disciples, who soon will be the leaders of his New Testament church, that if any one of, of, of them would say to, the, to that mountain, the Mount of Olives, Go throw yourself in the sea and do, and do so believing. It will be done for him. What the Lord Jesus assures his disciples of is that by faith in their God, nothing is impossible for them. 
And again, he emphasizes it as he says, therefore I will tell you that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. See there, what the power the Lord conveys upon this New Testament church. This is, by the way, that new house of prayer, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have faith in God. Then we can read in the book of Acts how his church, his new house of prayer, has used the power of prayer and of faith. It changed the world, and the world has never been the same. And the, and the nations have come all over the world. They have joined the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, that new house of prayer. And there is still room. It isn't full yet. The Lord made sure in the verses 23 and, 20, and through 25 that his disciples understood what true prayer is. It's praying in faith according to the Lord's purpose and with a heart that is clean from all resentment against anyone. You need to pray with a heart that has forgiven everything of anyone. Brothers and sisters, there is no time now to, to explain in details what it means to, to pray this way, but in the context of our text, it's not necessary. The point is that with this passage, the Lord already begins to make real his promise of a new house of prayer for all nations. To the Samaritan woman, he had once said, the hour has come and, now, and is now that neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father, but the hour has come, has come and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. These worshipers together, they form that new house of prayer which in which Christ dwells with his glorious power, with his endless love, and it's called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, the apostles will go out, and we know that by faith they have preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus all over the Deno world. And we know that through their preaching of the gospel, the Lord Jesus has been building his house. And the Psalm 87 is fulfilled. The nations have come and they have joined the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The preaching and the teaching of the gospel by the apostles have become the foundation of that house, with he himself as cornerstone. And so the apostle Peter himself could write later to God's elect strangers in the world that they are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. And the apostle Paul would exclaim to the church in Corinth, and to the whole New Testament church, don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Brothers and sisters, in our text, the Lord was only three days now away from the day that he would suffer and die on the cross and that he would wither under a curse that belongs to us and he knew it. But he did not hesitate, firmly and determined. He took step after step, which would bring his suffering closer and which 
will bring you near to God. Why? Because of his love for you and me. Believers from all nations who would need a new house of prayer. He went to the cross. He suffered. He died. But on the third day, he threw open the doors wide of that new house of prayer. Break down this house and I will raise it in three days. He once said, and he did. And he commands all of us to be living stones of it. So let's cherish it. Let's pray for that new house of prayer. Let's not be unfruitful in it. Let's go out in the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that his house may be full. And when his house is full, then he will return. And he will turn that new house of prayer into a house of eternal praise. Amen.